The Mac Observer is Mac Geek Gab number 71 for September 25th, 2006. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I'm here. I'm Dave Hamilton, of course. I'm here with John Braun. Hi, John. How are you? And that's <laughs> You're that, old. You're what's old. That? <laughs> I'm not, a, not as old as you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think you did have a... Uh, you just hit a milestone. Uh, I did, uh, kind of. the last couple of days. Kind of. Yesterday, as a matter of fact. I In other words, happy birthday. <laughs> yesterday that's about was my it. birthday. I hung one more Something year like on that. the line. That's so right. wish wish Dave a happy birthday. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, day late and well, I'm not a dollar short. I'm good. I'm, I'm flush now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah. So this week we were going to talk to Ricky Spiro, of course, about his Mac Pro. And as I was assembling the show, it, at the same time that I was assembling the show, I was thinking, Gosh, you know, we're going to Portable Media Expo this weekend. What kind of show should we do? A show from there? Does it make sense to what kind of show should we do? And then it hit me. Wait a minute. Why try to coordinate Ricky on Skype with you and me when, in fact, all three of us are going to be at Portable Media Expo this weekend? So Ricky will join us there live in the uh, makeshift studio, as it were. And we'll see if we can't uh, see if we can't make that work. We'll talk to Ricky about his Mac Pro and we'll talk about the Portable Media Expo and it'll be great. And for the audio geeks, we may get a new toy to play with. You never know, because that's where all the podcasters are going to be. But, that's, right. Uh, that's right. I'd like that. Yeah. Yeah. We'd so, all like that, I think. We'll see. We'll see what kind of microphone we use. We'll, we'll figure it all out. Uh, yep. So this week is more listener feedback. We had uh, quite a few follow-ups, actually, from last... Well, we always have quite a few follow-ups, and we had quite a few good ones. Uh, probably won't get to everything as usual, but... Uh, we will we will start and we'll start with a tip I think from Dave about parallels. Hey John, Dave, this is Dave from Ohio. Um, I've been using parallels for quite some time now, um, since the, some of the early betas with Windows XP Professional. And within parallels, there is this parallels tools application that you install on Windows XP. Um, once you have it up and running in Parallels that allows you to do things like file transfers between your system, and one of them includes copy and paste, which was something that uh, had been brought up on your last podcast. Anyway, thanks. Bye. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, we were... Whoops. Oh, there's that Dung Beetles thing trying to get in again. Well, should we just play it? Let's play the uh, the Dung Beetles thing for those of you that, that missed it last week. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't mean to play that here, but... Uh, if you had an Apple II, you were probably having a flashback of some right. sort right that's now. Right. But anyway, back to uh, back to Dave's comment there. We were talking about crossover last week, which is the rootless way of running Windows apps, some Windows apps on your Mac. And John had asked me if you could copy-paste. Dave obviously found out that you can do this with Parallels with their little addition, similar to what you can do in Virtual PC on the uh, PowerPC mm-hmm. side. As it turns out, Crossover totally inherits the Mac's clipboard. So uh, it, there is nice. no... Yeah, it works out great. Uh, you can copy-paste links back and forth. The, the trick is that in Crossover, there is the Crossover Mac menu bar, right, which has copy and paste in the edit menu, as you would expect. 
but the windows mm-hmm. apps don't pick that up in windows you have to do control v to paste and control c to copy uh because of course that's just the way those apps are built so it does work but yep. you gotta you gotta use the right windows commands to uh to do so and that's the because yeah. normally they're just two separate worlds are they truly two separate worlds I think so. They have to know how to share, though, and we all like to share. So. We do all like to share. That's right. <laughs> We're going to... What are we sharing next? What are we sharing next? Let's see. All right. You know, I, I got to take a minute here. I'm not sure if you heard us pause there or not. What is the deal with dot .max syncing being so slow? The, the reason we had to pause there was because I'd store all the PDFs in Yojimbo and... Uh, and I, of course, put them on my MacBook Pro earlier today, PDFs being the things that I store all the email comments in so that I'm sure that I have them in the right format. And I store them all in Yojimbo so that it synchronizes among all my Macs. And I realized as we started the show that, oh, dot .Mac hadn't synced Yojimbo because Yojimbo wasn't launched. So I launched it and it still hadn't synced by then. So I had to pause and we waited. John and I probably sat here and waited for, what, five minutes while dot .Mac did its thing and synced. Why is it so slow? Do you know, John? Do you know the answer to this? Um, I think because it's slow. Oh, man. I mean, if there's one thing they could fix, can I just use my own web dev server? Would it, would it go faster? Is there a way? Can I pay oh, somebody more? I mean, I'm I already paying. Imagine, I have to imagine for the geeks out there, there's somewhere in probably preferences where there's the address of the server that stores it. And yeah, what, as you wouldn't, and it, know, wouldn't well, it be easier? Wouldn't it be easier just to edit the host file? And instead of editing preferences, right, just edit the host file and redirect that somewhere. Yeah, I, I sense it's more than just tweaking a setting in the, uh, you know, where the preferences are. Well, I mean, it's going to co- try to connect to a host, right, at Apple. If you, if normally it's going to do a DNS lookup on that and get the address and go do it. If you edit your Etsy slash host file, well, then it won't do the DNS lookup. It'll just go right there. And but but who knows what kind of server it is? But still, oh. man, right. Like we had to do for uh, like we had to do for nation states. states over the yeah that's right yeah exactly yeah, that's right. but yeah. I'm suspecting that there's more than just changing the name that you know some of the services may uh, use proprietary file formats who the heck knows I think it stores it all what on is? your iDisk if you look on your iDisk there's a sync folder out there yeah I'm pretty so sure. maybe that's all you need maybe uh, I'm I'm just curious if yeah. they may be modifying other files when they synchronize just to keep yeah. everything sensible so. Something to try out. I don't know. It's just so slow. Ridiculously so. So, yeah. I don't know what the deal well, is. did and you see your speed with menu meters? I did. It wasn't it wasn't even coming wasn't. close to Ooh. my maximum bandwidth, let alone Compact, Comcast quote-unquote power boost, which it which they say I have, but I've never oh. seen it ever ever go above the So kind of it kind of stalled. Oh, it takes forever. It takes forever. <laughs> anyway, Jed Jed wrote in and uh and this was totally related to what we talked about last week where we were going through all our, our favorite apps. There is a site called IUseThis.com, and there's an OS X section called, as you might guess, OS X or OS X, for those of you writing down at home, OSX.IUseThis.com. No spaces anywhere. Just write it all together with the dots. And what it is, is it's essentially like Dig, where you log mm-hmm. in and you find the apps that you use and you say, I use this, as opposed to Dig this, you I use this, and it promotes them up. And it's very cool. It allows you, allows you to go through and see what other people are using, kind of get a feel for what all the popular apps are mm-hmm. out there. Very, very cool stuff. Excellent, excellent use of that technology. Uh, yeah. So what all, what all the cool kids are using? 
Well, a lot of you wrote in and said that we're missing the whole boat and should be using Quicksilver. Um, many of you wrote in saying that it changed your lives. Honestly, I, I had at least one of you recommend it months ago, and I tried it. It, it, it I, I don't know. I just didn't grok it, but, uh, but I should try it again because apparently it is uh, earth-shattering, but, as it were. But I use this, the dig of uh, OS ten. Yeah. You got to say 10 and not X, because if you say X, right. you sound like a noob. Right. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I was, you know, I just wanted to make sure people weren't going to go type O-S-T. Yeah. No, I understand. Right. Okay. I think that's why in that one case you... Uh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. Uh, you know, I did miss X. something, though, last week uh, I, in, when we were going through that whole audiobook thing. And many, ah, yes, many you of you, did. many of you wrote in. Katie uh, was actually the first to write in, and she did it the right way because she didn't write much at all. Let's see. That's how it's. See how this just technology's not on our side tonight, folks. Hey guys. Oh, it's hey. Katie from the Macworld Podcast, and I was just following up on my audiobook and iTunes issue that you guys were so kind to address for me on show seventy. As your listeners may recall, I had a whole bunch of audiobooks on CD that I wanted to import into iTunes and have them show up in Apple's audiobooks category, but unfortunately that wasn't quite as easy as it should have been. John suggested changing the genre from whatever it was, music, to audiobooks, (laughs) but unfortunately that didn't do the trick. They didn't show up. Um, Then Dave suggested changing the file extension from the .m4a, which is an AAC file, to .m4b, which is the extension for Apple's protected AAC files, in the hopes of tricking iTunes to think that this would be an audiobook. Well, that got me headed in the right direction, but it still didn't get me all the way there. What I actually had to do is I had to change all of my audiobooks files extensions to the .m4b extension, and then I had to remove all of my audiobooks that I had changed out of my iTunes library. Notice I said yeah, remove them man. from the iTunes library, not delete them from the computer. Right. And then re-import them into iTunes. Now, after I took them out and re-imported them again, they showed up in the audiobooks category, Score. and all was well with the world. Now, you could do this in Automator by making an Automator action where you would drop all of your files into Automator and it would find the .m4a extension and change them to .m4b. And I did that for a few books and it worked fine. However, I actually found a little bit easier way, and that is using a script called Make Bookmarkable from Doug's Apple Scripts for iTunes. That's www.dougscripts.com slash iTunes. And this Make Bookmarkable script will allow you to select all of your audiobooks in iTunes, run this script from the iTunes script menu. It will go through and change all of the file formats for you, but you do still have to then remove them from your library and then re-import them back in. So it's probably good to make sure that your library is nice and organized so that you know where to find these files and you're not searching all over your computer. Uh, but anyway, there you go. That's how you make your MP or your uh, audio CDs transfer into the audiobooks category in iTunes. And it just makes organization a whole lot simpler. So thanks for taking the time to answer my question, guys, and appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for uh, thanks for clarifying that. You know, as I was prepping the show, Katie, I thought Katie's a big geek. Yeah, wow. that's good though. That was just that was yeah, awesome. it was awesome. As I was prepping the show, I thought, yeah, and you got to pull them out and pull them back in because otherwise, if you go change the file name, of course, iTunes is going to just 
lose track of them. It'll say, I can't find the file anymore. So yes, Katie, you're absolutely right. And it's important to note a lot of you wrote in and said, well, changing the file type isn't that simple. You also need to run it through Apple's chapter tool, yada, yada. And there were a, a zillion oh, things. I've, I've you, used the chapter tool. Yeah, and, and it works, yeah. but you do not have to do that. Simply changing the file type is all that it takes as long as you then go re-import it back in and point iTunes, well, not point iTunes to it, but let iTunes kind of re-assimilate that file. So thank you, Katie. You know, thank you very that's much. That's kind of like, and we may talk later about that, but, you know, the DVD and chapter thing, how do you retain that stuff? That's yeah. The files get kind of yeah. weird. How much of it do you want? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to tell you again about uh, TeachMac. I know we talked about them a couple of shows oh, yeah. ago. TeachMac is our sponsor for uh, a bunch of our shows between now and well, not eternity, but they're with us for quite a while. So I'm no, I'm, I'm very happy to have an opportunity to sort of go in depth here. That said, I, I talked to them and I wanted to kind of go through a couple other things. They they have, I believe, they have now released their module maker, which is the thing that allows you to make modules either for other folks that you know or for other folks that you don't and you can actually sell the modules through their site and they're uh, splitting the revenue with you i believe they're splitting it again i i believe that's how it is uh, they are offering two for one subscriptions if you buy one and then go to their contact page at teachmac.com and request a new one just mention the mac geek gab i believe that's good till the end of september but it might go a little bit further than that uh it never hurts to ask and as a clarification to the last time, you have two types of two options when you download TeachMac. You can download the uh, modular version where you well, they're both modular, but the a la carte version where you get the app for free and then you go and pay for each module that you're going to go ahead and use. The other option is for forty nine bucks a year, you get access to all of the modules. And I just wanted to clarify that again. That's TeachMac from TeachMac.com. And we will move right along to Jim had an excellent question. Hey, John and Dave. This is Jim from Iowa. Hey, I just listened to your podcast on uh, how you're using Gmail as a spam filter. I understand how you receive email. And if I summarize, you're having someone send an email address or an email to one address. It gets auto-forwarded to Gmail. And then Gmail auto-forwards it to yet another address. So I understand how that works. But... Maybe this is a simple question. How do you actually send email back out to people with people thinking that it's actually coming from the first email address and not the last email address, which will cause spam to happen? Again, um, love the show. Look forward to the answer. Thanks. Bye. It's a very good question, and though it may appear obvious to some or 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 a lot of us, it's it's not something that's obvious to everyone. When when mail gets forwarded automatically by the server like that. The address to which it was sent uh, is not displayed in the standard headers. It is added as a forwarded header uh, in, in the mail. But if you go and inspect this stuff, you, you, you won't see it on first glance. When you reply, you simply make sure that what you're, the address you're sending from is the original address, right? It comes into, let's say, my Dave at MacObserver.com address. Then it gets forwarded to my private email, uh, private Gmail address, and then it gets forwarded to my private IMAP address that that Mail uses to uh, to to pull everything. The only address that I ever send from is the uh, Dave at MacObserver.com address. So, in Mail, for example, you just need to make sure that your uh, reply to address is. In my case, Dave at MacObserver.com. And what's very cool, there was a quick tip at TMO today. 
if you're in your if you're in your uh, Apple Mail account settings, and, and most email programs have a a, a function or a, a, an avenue for doing this, there's the email address field on the account information pane, and normally you're just going to put one address there. In my case, it would be Dave at MacObserver.com. But I can all you can also put other addresses there if you want. If you separate them by commas, I have David MacObserver.com and then a comma and then David BackbeatMedia.com, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get a little drop down. In fact, there, like I said, there was a quick tip on TMO today. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Gamut talked through all this and did it with screenshots much better than I could ever explain here. Uh, and you can just mirror the settings on yours. And it does. It gives you a little drop down and you can pick what what address you want to reply from. And it, the cool thing is mail is now smart enough for most of the time to auto pick the reply address based on what it was sent to originally has nothing to do with where it was forwarded, but what it was sent to originally, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that, does that make and sense, John? I have, uh, no. Yeah, yes. No, and actually, I was just looking. I use Eudora, and Eudora right. has filters, right. which at least in Eudora is fun because it can key the signature. That's what I use it for. Right. It can key your signature to the address of whatever's coming in because right. it usually, as Dave said, retains the address, uh, you know, in some cases of the server it came from. Yeah. So that's very nice. But, yeah, the big problem is that they don't check the address as strictly as they should where it's right. coming from versus where it's really coming from which right. you know especially with unsecured servers that's why we have spam but that's right getting everybody to switch over to a better server system that takes a little work that's not gonna i don't <laughs> i don't see it happening i mean how how could we get everyone i mean we'd have to just make you know attention yeah. we have a big announcement to make tomorrow email changes you know that's just not going to work yeah because you'd either have to get a you know encryption key or biometrics right. or right. it's yeah, well there, the there is, is that whole a, there is that whole SPF record thing right uh, which which and I I can't remember what it stands for because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but essentially what it is is in your zone files for your domains you say you list the the addresses of the mail servers that are allowed to send mail from your domain. And you can be very strict uh-huh. about it. You can say, look, these are the preferred ones, but it's cool to accept mail from others. Or, uh, you know, these are the preferred ones. I don't know anything about others. Or, look, don't let yep. anybody but these particular mail servers send yep. mail. Oh, very cool. I have but, not heard about this. But the problem is... Most mail servers look at the from address, right? Yep. And then they look at the mail server that the mail's coming from. In my instance, Dave at MacObserver.com, right? That mail goes to let's say you send me mail from uh from from you know your John at MacObserver.com, right? And you send yeah. it to my Dave at BackbeatMedia.com. So we can split the domains apart. So you sent from mm-hmm. MacObserver.com to my Backbeat Media thing. That follows the same path. So it gets forwarded to Gmail. Gmail then forwards it back to my uh, mail server that contains my uh, IMAP account. Well, mm-hmm. my IMAP account says, okay, look, MacObserver.com, which is where it was from, from you, is not allowed to have mail sent from Gmail. It doesn't realize that it's mm-hmm. simply being forwarded. It thinks Gmail is sending mail mm-hmm. as MacObserver.com. And so that's where it gets, you know, how could I, I would have to then go through and ask everyone who sends me mail to update their uh, SPF records to allow Gmail to forward mail as their domain. Uh, that's just not feasible, right? So there, there's some flaws in the system. But nevertheless, uh, yeah. a very, uh, it, you know... SPF, I, ha- I have to give them a plug. So I went to openspf.org, mm-hmm. 
and they have a graphic on the front with explaining the anti-forgery solution. Blah, yes. Blah, blah. But they have a guy, and he has a titanium power book, because I had one of those. Yeah. So they, they score Mac points. So yeah. we'll link to them, but it's a group that's writing software that can do this sort of uh, filtering. Huh. Yeah. Not that efficient. So what's next? Uh, let's see. Well, we can... Uh yeah, we'll go into Jay's, uh, Jay's question here. Technology's just not on my side tonight. Hello, John and Dave. I'll have you know that I'm in my car, but I just parked. <laughs> so I'm listening to your latest mm. podcast, and you were mentioning a whole lot of really great IP tools that you like. And one that I'm very interested in um, is pass. an application called IP Anemia. But unfortunately, I was wondering if you guys knew of an open source version of this. What IP Anemia allows you to do is if you have a DHCP network that you're connecting to and your IP address changes, IP Anemia will actually email you uh, a, just literally an email with your new IP address every time it changes. What I'm looking for is if you guys know of a Perl or any other kind of script that does this on its own that runs really low level because I don't even want to have to run an application because I do have a server that I use and I always remote into it and every once in a while, my IP changes, and I have to wait until I get home in the evening in order to change it. So if you know anything, let me know. Keep up the great work. Show's awesome. Listen to it every day as I come and go from work. Uh, you guys have a good night. Email. Oh, and we'll stop before Jay spills his email address there. Uh, <laughs> there, There is an answer here. I, I'm sure he there's... Go ahead. Parked. He was parked. He was parked, but he was next to somebody with a terribly loud noise but whatever it was uh, it was a good question i'm sure that you there is a pearl script out there that you could do this with but really the easiest thing is to use what's called a dynamic dns service and there are plenty of them available for free and most if not all of them support the mac in in one way or another dyndns.org is one uh, let's see there's uh, what freedns.afraid.org there's easydns.com tzo.com what these services do is allow you to you create an account with them like i said most of the time for what for what jay wants to do you can do it for free you create an account and it points to a domain name say you know uh, my, jay's name dot dynds.org dyn for dynamic mm-hmm. and then that there's a little demon that runs on, on, on Jay's machine that updates any time his IP address changes and tells DynDNS.org, okay, look, here's my new IP. DynDNS automatically points his Jay's server.DynDNS.org mm. to whatever that IP is, and it updates every minute. So, that, that's so, the, so what you're saying is there's something on his computer that should always send a little mm-hmm. message up to the... Uh, well, you'd need to install the, the software. DynDNS... Yeah. Yeah, so you have to in- install something custom. But it, but it does run at a low level, right? Do or, the update. So or, it basically, or or go, go ahead. Well, it if you're running a Linksys router, most mm. of them by default include the ability to do this for at least a couple of those services. If you go into if you're mm. on a Linksys router and you go to setup, uh, the second tab over is usually D- DDNS, and that's exactly what this is for. Dynamic. Yeah. Yes, yes. So you don't need to run anything on your computer. You can let your router do it. If you're not running a Linksys router, uh, or if you choose not to do it this way, you can install an app, and it and it does run as a service uh, to the system. It it 
typically is not just an app that's running. It's very, as, as Jay requested, very low level. So that's, uh, it's a very cool thing, though. I've been using it for probably 10 years now and uh, with great success. Right? Right. Right. All right, John. I've got one for you here. Mm-hmm. Phil writes in. He says, I had a question I was hoping you could address on your show or at least maybe email me back. I have an Airport Extreme base station, and I want to see the DHCP routing table. This is available on Linksys routers, but I can't seem to find this information on the Apple version. If you don't know what this is, which I imagine you do, but for the benefit of the listeners, we'll, we'll make sure everybody knows. The DHCP routing table is a list of the computers that my router has given an IP address to. I just want to see what the IP address is for all my computers on my network at a glance, and also to make sure that there's no funny business going on, i.e. other people connecting to my network and grabbing an IP address from my router. So this is a good thing to, to see every now and then. As, as Phil noticed, the airport base stations do not offer an ability to see this information. I didn't think there was a way to do it, but John proved me wrong. I did. I did. Because, did. so, the good news in this case, so yes, normally you, you get the, uh, I believe it's the airport admin right. utility right. installed if you have an airport or even if you don't. And that's what you use. But, you know, I mean, the good news about the utility is it's it's very you know, clean and only the stuff you really need, it doesn't concern itself with routing tables because it figures you probably, most people don't care about that. But That's right. Geeks. Now, I guess the first mistake here was, you know, getting the Apple product. No. Oh, <laughs> oh, the well, lawyer's you did, okay. You did, you did pay quite a bit for, uh, <laughs> for, for a base station no. there. Yeah. No, and I admit that any Apple uh, wireless product I get, you get it, you get the software, you set it up, done. you're done. That's right. So, again, yeah, but if you're geeky, you want something like a Linksys, which, you know, for the most part, doesn't really acknowledge the existence of Apple. Right. And that they don't make their software for, for the Mac specifically, but you can reach it over, you know, a network or yeah. wireless. So that's good. Not with their built-in utility, the, which is, you know, bad, because right. they have a nice, secure setup utility. But anyways, so Back what to you the can normally... Hand. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. A little, little side road there. Sorry, no so problem. normally on, on the Linksys, you can see the routing table, but in the Apple, you can't. But fortunately, Apple conforms to something called SNMP. What is SNMP, you ask? I know, I know. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, go ahead. Okay, go. Well, oh, it's simple go. network monitoring protocol, right? I think management. But oh. it could be... You, you were close, but basically yeah. it's a service that runs on, I think it's UDP... UDP port 161, 162, something Is like that. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'll look it up. But I, I think that's close. But anyways, it's a service where basically it's a, it's a application-level service, which if you're familiar with this OSI model kind of deal where you have layers in a network protocol, and we're getting real geeky here. Level yes, 1 is where you talk to the hardware. Level 7 is where you talk to the application. And SNMP is an application-level UDP, which is you know kind of unusual. Yeah. Talk about that a bit more. But basically, you have all these messages where anything that is network intensive, like a router or anything on a network, can talk using SNMT. SNMP. Right. Fortunately, the airport does this. It just doesn't let you see it with the utility that they offer. Fortunately, uh, let me find this here. They, there is something called Airport Monitor, which I found. It's from a group called Totally Certifiable. <laughs> I just <laughs> okay. like the name. These right. guys get a link. And basically, it's a utility that goes to the airport base station. Most of them, I think, not probably not back to the graphite, but they have different, you know, graphites now. And it says, hey, you know, 
give me the routing table using SNMP. Now, there are other utilities. I don't think we talked about them last week. Right. Like one I found is Intermapper. Yep. Another is Coco SNMP. I think it's an open source thing. Okay. I, it It's worth what you pay for it. Got it. At this point, I had a rough time. But anyway, so this one thing I found from our certifiable friends was something that goes to the airport and says, here's the routing table, which, as uh, as Phil mentioned, that's how you see if somebody's connected that you may or may not know about. There you go. Now, there I, we go. I, I got to ask you, it, it is simple network management protocol. You're right. Do, does And I've done a little bit with it, but not uh, not a whole lot. Can you make any changes to the router with SNMP, or is it simply for querying the router and and asking uh, uh, for data essentially? That's where I got to say by instinct that you can. My knowledge, okay, pretty much. Uh, okay. they have these things called MIBs, right? Management information bases, which are groups of data that are predefined from within this protocol. Okay, I would imagine in addition to reading, you probably have one. Well, I would imagine, I would yeah. hope there's security around this sure. thing. All right, hey router or whatever network piece. Yeah, you know, change. So, so I, yeah, there has to be because it, this protocol it would make sense for reading. Sure, sure. Now, I, I haven't use, tried it. I use a, a piece of software called Multi Router Traffic Graph Grapher, or mm. as as many geeks call it, MRTG, and mm. I use it to to monitor uh, the bandwidth consumption of. Actually, all the servers that, that are on the, the farm that TMO lives on. And mm -hmm. also, I use it to monitor the, my network here. The Linksys router lets you, yep. lets you grab that data. And I would imagine the airport router would let you, too. And it's interesting to watch you know, traffic patterns and that sort of thing. When John and I do our Skype call, I can see the little, you know, the little thing pop up. And it keeps a history. And you can have daily, monthly, and yearly history going and all that good stuff. Multi-router traffic grapher. It's, uh, it's free and geeky and nice. yeah, very much a command line thing, though I bet someone has created an OS 10 uh, uh, you know, GUI to, uh, to manage it. But there you go. So la last week, Robert uh, called in, and how did mm -hmm. he call in? He called 206-666-GEEK. That's right. Uh, and Robert called in, and we played his first question about the magnifying glass, but we did not play his second question because we simply ran out of time. Today, Robert, is your lucky day. Opportunity knocks. Question two is uh, regarding the new iTunes store and yes. burning backups of movies that I've downloaded. Will, uh, you know, their files are going to be a gig, a gig and a half, and uh, I'm going to need to back them up. If I back them up to DVD... Will those DVDs be playable on my DVD player, or do I have to stream it via the ITV to my television to watch these movies on the television? Um, I love the video iPod, but I'm not watching movies on it. I'm sorry. It's just, mm. you know, the whole movie thing's going to fall way short for me if I can't uh, get at least, at least DVD quality. Um, I would like to buy... DVD quality movies via the uh, iTunes store, but um, you know, at ten bucks a clip, if yeah. the quality's not there and I can't put it on the DVD, um, I'm not going to waste my time or my money. Thanks. You bet. Well, yeah, there's there's a couple of questions here. I'm, I'm going to work a little bit backwards, and this is going to kind of spiral off into a discussion about the whole Showtime event that uh, that Apple did last week. Was it? It was last week, wasn't it? No, yeah. two weeks ago. It was the 12th. Showtime. Right? It was the 12th, yeah. Uh, 
So, first of all, you are not buying true DVD quality movies from the iTunes store. Remember, it's no longer the iTunes music store. The, I believe oh, the quality... Funny thing. Yeah. Huh? I, I believe the quality is 640 by 480. True full DVD quality uh, can go up to 720 by 480. And then, of course, above that is HD. Uh, so... You're not getting, even for your 10 bucks downloaded, watching it on your Mac, you're not getting true DVD quality, but it's probably close enough for most folks. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Standard TV, not HD, because you have that and I don't. I do. Yeah, that's right. But 720 by 480 gives you widescreen. 640 by 480 mm-hmm. does not, but you can obviously get the widescreen by going less than 480 and, and shrinking in on that on that 640. Mm-hmm. So, that that that's... Question number one. Question number two is, if you burn it to DVD, can you then play that DVD on your standard DVD player? And man, that's that's the egg that needs to be cracked here. Because no, no you, you no. can't. There's no it's way. It's a protected yeah. EA or MP. Yeah, it's It's protected. a protected movie file, yeah. And, and so... And as of yet, no one has come out with the, you know, the anti DRM to that. Will it happen? Yeah, but that's really not the solution here. The solution yeah. is someone needs to someone needs to make this legal, right? Because everybody has a DVD player. Why in the heck would I want to spend 10 bucks on a movie and then also have to go and spend 200 bucks on a device to play that movie where when when otherwise I could just go and and, you know, for. 10 bucks a month i can have a netflix subscription the stuff just arrives it it's on those little dvds that fit into that thing in front of my tv and i'm good to go right why would i want to do it the other you, way because you want to give a executive that runs a company like that an extra sports car to drive around because yeah it's boring that's right that's right yeah because life is what boring. about your rights what about your rights that yeah i it so i just i don't i don't well, I know why it's happening, of course, yeah. but I really was hoping, being that he was able to negotiate some great deals with the with the music industry, and they really were great deals, they still are, Steve Jobs was the only hope for getting the... Uh, the, the music industry to, to cave on this one. And, and perhaps, perhaps we're, you know, this is a, a, a multi-step process here. It's not going to, obviously it's mm-hmm. not going to be a, you know, swing and, and, and a home run, but let's hope that somebody figures out a way to do this because it, it it's ridiculous. If you ask me that, that we've got to go through all this, these machinations, who's going to do this? The device doesn't even exist yet. At least not in the hands of mm-hmm. us. Now, if you want to do it, you can, you you get your iPod right, and you get one of those. Well, you can you can't do it in uh, you can't do it with an HD signal yet. I don't believe anybody's got an iPod to HD uh, dock, but mm. I know DLO makes their home dock, and uh, and of course Apple has their their connectors too. So you can take your movie, download it to your iPod, which is of course authorized to play these DRM'd movies. Bring mm. it over to your TV, plug it into your TV one way or another, and. Yes, you can download the movie from your computer and watch it on your TV, but you need to use the iPod as the intermediary at the moment. Uh, Yeah. You know, it's almost like make it easy for me to consume your stuff without it being a pain in the ass. Yeah, that's it. That's how it goes. No, (laughs) you're absolutely right. Yeah. Can you get this? Yeah, right. Yeah. Make it easy for me to give you my money. That's it. That's how it works. 
And if you don't and do that, some people don't it. get it. Technologists, no. marketing people, whoever, no. they don't understand. What, what would you do when you went home? Right. That's and you right. didn't work for the company. Now, it, now it's, it's interesting. A tangent conversation to this is the whole TiVo thing, right? Because the We're TiVo on a double tangent. The, the TiVo, <laughs> yeah, but that's that's why I saved this for this week. The, the TiVo series two allows you, at least on a Windows computer or on your Mac running boot camp or et cetera, et cetera, allows you to download things that you've recorded to your TiVo and burn them to DVD. You've got to jump mm. through a couple of hoops to do it, but it is, there is a legal, you know, totally, a, right, totally a, a playable, usable DVD. Yes. Right. Any, D, any DVD player, right. Standard, standard DVD. There you go. That's so, what you want, right? Yes. However... The new Series 3 TiVo, which just came out, for which they want $800 for. No, which, no, no. Yeah. $799. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> plus, plus, they want another 200 bucks for me to transfer my lifetime subscription to it. So $1,000, <laughs> right? Like $1,000 to get the thing in the door. 1000 bucks, and it doesn't support TiVo to go. Why? Because, frankly, if it did, I think the movie companies would... I think maybe that's why it took the darn thing so long to get out. It, there, there's no TiVo to go for it. So I can't download to my, uh, I can't record to my TiVo and then, you know, beam it to my computer and save to DVD. I can't go, I can't buy two series three TiVos, mm-hmm. record to one and send it to the other over a network like I can do with the series two. Are, are you saying like the forces of evil delayed the release of this product? I, I yes, I, I am going to, I am going to stand up and, and say that that is my speculation. Oh. Because the things existed for like two years. They've had the HD capable TiVo in, you know, alpha and beta versions for two years. It doesn't take I'm, that long I'm, to, to I'm release the I'm sure thing. they're working on a revenue model so artists and uh, creative people can be properly compensated. The artists and the creative people are getting screwed <laughs> like the rest of us. It, this is, <laughs> it's, it, you know who it is. It's the people we always love to hate. But we love to hate them because... Well, they set it up to be hated. So, uh, you know, I'm sure the MPAA got in the way. You know what, what the MPAA... Viva la revolution. You know what it the MPAA come. said, right, to TiVo before they released even the Series 1? They, they, you know, they, they went... And I read this in Darknet, which is a great book, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, the TiVo went to the movie industries and or the, I don't know, the television studios. They're all related. And uh, people producing video content for others to pay for. And... They showed him the thing. They said, man, you know, that's a great little product. Now go set yourselves on fire. They, mm. they did. They said, you will never, ever get this thing out. But did they? Yes. But now they're being thwarted by it. So, Wow. And that was a double tangent rant, I yeah, think. Man. I, I don't know how to score that one. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that up to the uh, listeners at home. Did you know that we have a frapper map, John? A lot of you have found it. If you go to any of the show notes in the last I, century here. You I've can. looked, but I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? People like use Google Earth and see where I live. Yeah, well, I, I already posted all that stuff. <laughs> there was something cool about just, this. Is just going to be tangents. Technology's fighting me tonight, so I'm not going to mess with any more of those comments. Uh, God bless you, uh, or congratulations, as they used to say. Because you were you, well, if you sneezed, it meant you were getting the plague out of you, right? Mm. And that's when it changed from congratulations to uh, to bless you. So or sneeze, mm. sneeze. But actually, sorry, didn't, we weren't getting the plague out of you. You had the plague. It was mm. a sign that you had the plague, and, and hence the uh, the, the mm. bless you thing. But anyway, it used to be congratulations before that. What was I talking about? Um, seriously, what was I talking about? 
Where are we here? Oh, the, the Google thing. A friend of mine sent me a flight simulator that uses Google Earth, and, and you control this plane with your keyboard, and you can fly around either major cities or your neighborhood and uh, shoot things and all sorts of great stuff. It's, it's awesome. And I'll, uh, I'll find that link, and I forget what it's called, but it'll be in the show notes. I'll dig it up for you, John. Do we have anything else to talk about here? Oh, IMAP. Last week, we talked about how mail.app does not support the IMAP idle command. And the idle command being the thing that allows the server to tell your computer, or in this case, mail. Ah, yeah. Somebody found something. Yes. Amazing. A guy guy released it today, this morning. It's already been through two revisions. Uh, It works for me. It's a little plug-in, and you can set mail to never check, and it will automatically know when mail appears, and bam, it appears in your... your, uh, Yeah. Yeah, go. Yeah, it's it works. But there's a couple of quirks. One of them is that it doesn't if you ter- if you take an account offline or you make an account inactive, it doesn't care. It's going to keep on checking anyway. So, uh, he's and he's working on it. He's aware of this stuff, but it does work. So, it, it if you're obsessive about your mail and you just want it to uh-huh. magically appear the moment it hits the server, this is as close as you're going to get. At least right. using mail. Yeah. Last geek thing. Yeah. Do you like Google Earth? You know, I haven't used it a whole lot. I, I, oh, I can't say that I have it. But the, I have it. But there's a site called Google Sightseeing.com. Okay. okay. And it's basically a bunch of notable kind of weird things you find on Google Earth. Okay. Oh, Fortunately, yeah, they have a Mac yeah. version. Yeah. They have a Mac version. They've actually just updated the map. So there's a lot of stuff. Oh, Even cool. where I live, which yeah. used to be all like blurry green stuff. Really? Now I can see buildings. So uh, they know. updated the map. But they have sites to follow this, and you get Google Earth. Uh, I think they've updated it for the Mac since we were uh, at Macworld. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, they, you're right. They definitely have. Yeah. So, the band. Yeah, the band. Uh, you've been playing nice Nation out. States, John? I'm just Oh, yeah. Well, they had, they had a DNS hookup, but my nation is, they're eating people, and wow. it, it's terrible. It's terrible. See, I'm moving in, in completely the other direction. I, at first, I started out to be the maniac dictator, and I got there and was basically holding court that way. And then I decided, how quickly can I change from a total you know, capitalist-sponsored dictatorship all the way uh-huh. over to—actually, it wasn't even capitalist-sponsored. That was, that was sort of you know, one notch back. How oh. can I change from a you know, totally government-controlled dictatorship to anarchy? And, uh, and so I'm pushing all the issues that I get. The answer is always pushing towards anarchy. And I'm actually in yeah. the middle now. I'm at a, I'm at a what, inoffensive centrist democracy or something. So nationstates.net. Come join yeah. our, our Geeks Unite region. You're, Push us you're over. Gonna, uh, we got a milestone, <laughs> a member milestone to reach. So We're, yeah, yeah. 100. 100. The Freepers, Freepers yeah. are going to get you, man. What's that? You hear about that? Freepers. Yeah, I'll tell you about it later. Okay, you can tell me about it later. So next week, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be next week. It'll be at some point while we're at PME, technology permitting, you know, hopefully now that they actually allow us to take, you know, shampoo and water on the plane oh, again. Yeah. You know, hopefully. From the stores, though. Right. It's a plot still. Well, no, you can bring the shampoo. You don't have to buy the shampoo in the stores, I don't think. Oh, okay. but as the long water. as it's three ounces the water, water, I think you do. The water yeah. and the stuff, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so as long as that works, we'll do that with Ricky Spiro from uh, from the weekly roundup. Make sure, of course, if you're going to PME, let us know. We'll uh, we'll see if we can't uh, hook up. How, There's how all kinds can, of stuff how going on. Could they possibly let us know? 
Well, they can email us at macgeekgab at macobserver.com. They can phone us at 206-666-GEEK. Or you can even Skype us. I checked it today at macgeekgab on Skype. Yeah, Cashfly Hosting is, of course, the place where this podcast has been downloaded from. Our podcast marketplace this month features the 6i Isolator earphones from Edomotic, A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, and, of course, TeachMac from TeachMac.com. Sponsor the show through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And uh, that's you know what I want to do? What? I want to vote. What do you want to vote for? Us. Us. I mean, at Podcast Alley, go vote. But make sure I you choose. do it after uh, after Sunday, right? Because that's what that's where that is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go go review us at iTunes. Oh, new we, month. We yeah, like it yeah. all. We, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll take it all. Uh, you done? We're oh yeah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> We've been done for a while. Thanks for listening. Thanks for staying subscribed. We really do appreciate it. We appreciate all the comments you send in, too. Totally makes this worth it. We totally love doing this. Thank you. Well, except for that one. You remember that one? Hey. I think it was your brother. Yeah, well, you know. It's my brother's friend. made up.